All right, so uh, Jordy just got back here with a truckload of shit, and we're gonna find somewhere to disperse it out on the property. So, yeah, there's lots of good uses for this. Are we thinking we're gonna be using it before next spring, or are we just like leaving it out here over the winter? Yeah, I don't think we're gonna get to like plant in it before the spring. I don't know about stuff here, like planting stuff in winter, that over winters, maybe we can research some stuff. But I think we're pretty much trying to get some layers like a sheet composting layers out in the field to create a large area that we can plant in in the spring. Okay, so we're just going to be spreading it out. We're not putting in a pile or anything, okay? No, I think with this, I think we should do, yeah, uh, hopefully we'll be able to get enough to do some pretty big pile that we could turn into a compost pile of kitchen scraps or whatever also, you know? Uh -huh. um, or at least just do a big pile to really compost all the way hot. Which, you know, supposedly we could do it hot enough where then all the weed seeds will be killed and we'll be able to use it in the garden beds and it will be like fresh, you know, soil with no yeah, seeds. Yeah, okay. So yeah, I wasn't, I was uh, envisioning much fresher manure. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah. I thought there would actually be a, like visible horse biscuits, which it really just looks like regular old soil with lots of uh, weeds growing around in it. Yeah, barely any really of, uh, and the guy was saying that they had just scraped the round pen there. So like, this is a lot of dirt from that too, which is cool. And he gave me, he asked me if we wanted it for like, you know, what we wanted it for and if he would give us as composted as possible. So this is pretty much, I think, the closest to dirt that we could get. So it could be cool to save some of it in a pile, but then again, maybe this is good for doing the sheet composting so it doesn't have to compost that much before next spring. Because obviously when it freezes, I don't know how much it'll be doing. But I figured we'd do some layers. We could add wood chips on top and then uh, put plastic over the top maybe. And that way, oh, like yeah. that, we'll be able to keep it heated in the winter maybe and let it still be doing some stuff, composting during the winter or something. Yeah, that would be cool. So this uh, free manure that you got, so it was at a farm, was it outside of town or? Yeah, it's south of town, uh, off 287, like by that big factory place, just okay. south of town. Um, it's a horse, horse ranch out there where my sister actually does some like riding horses. She has a background in horse riding in California, so she got plugged back into that since moving out here. Um, so that's how I got the connection anyways, through my sister. But yeah, I called the guy, he called me back, and from then he just said texting is fine, and uh, that I could text him next week and come by, just make sure he's there. And I figured we at least get three more loads, I think. There's a big pile, two piles, like more like this dirt, and another more fresh pile. But still, it mostly looks almost like, you know, a compost pile because of all the straw and stuff. It seems to be the, the bedding uh -huh. from the horse's stalls and their shit is what ends up in the pile. So it's like an actual mixture, not just manure. All right. So I guess what we've got to do is move some of this crap out of the way so we can back the truck up out into the open field. And then we will be good. Yep. Lot. It's like the truck that is big, so it's deceivingly, it's deceptively small looking. Yeah. Except for when you're standing on it, shoveling it, it feels a lot bigger. Rosa. That's surprising that this is just two bucket loads out of that Yeah. Yeah, like it's a pretty small bucket little machine. It's cool though. Two piles. I just pulled up between them. I wasn't sure exactly what he meant, where to pull up, and then it was fine. He just had the little skids here. Two scoops. Watched the springs of the truck to make sure it wasn't bottoming out on the axle. Yeah, this is going to be awesome, really. 
<laughs> we get some wood chips on this. Like next year we could just dig little holes in this and plant stuff in it, presumably, hopefully. Yeah, that should be good. Just a little. Got a free source of manure and free source of wood chips. Okay. And then just adding brush and sticks as we've been doing. Hey everybody, welcome to Solidarity House. I'm Matt and we've got Nina with us. Hello. Uh, and Derek is also joining us today. Hey, everybody. When there were six or seven of us or even eight of us here, then it didn't make sense to try to do a lot of official division of labor. If there were projects to be done, people did them as they were available. And oftentimes, everybody was doing a little bit of everything. But now that we have 16 people here, it's a lot, it feels a lot different in terms of the number of people that can do things. And so we have created committees and we created a bunch of committees and then had people join uh, a number of those committees and not too many committees uh, and then start working together with the agenda of the particular committee. So the committees that we formed are chickens, garden and agriculture, finances, health and relationships, hospitality and membership, kitchen, the kitchen committee, maintenance and aesthetics, I've, although I think we mostly call them maintenance and not as much aesthetics all the time, but they do both. Podcast and media is another one, and then political education and pets. And in addition, there is also a committee of one, that what we call scheduling, uh, and uh, Nina is the valiant scheduler uh, to who helps coordinate kind of what, what all the other what all the com committees are doing. Every of our committees is interlocked with every single other in some way or other. And so whenever a problem arises, um, there's the question of which committee does this problem go to for it to be solved? And is it a case where it needs to go to multiple committees for us to set up a little joint task force? And so it adds a little bit of a bureaucratic element in that way. But since it, there's still just like, you know, 12 of us who are on the committees, it's, it's not like we all know each other and we're often all on dif the different committees anyway. So um, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, a similar observation to that of Derek. Um, I, I like the structure. Um, I'm a person who really needs structure to kind of get through my day. It helps me figure out sort of where I need to be when and it, it helps kind of keep me uh, focused and I really appreciated the transition into this sort of committees amalgam that we have. Um, but with that has come, as Derek mentioned, sort of a bureaucratic element where there is sort of a like assigning of tasks that has to happen before action really takes place where it's a matter of, well, you know, who does this task belong to committee wise and then figuring out the communication that needs to happen sort of in like in the interchannels. Um, so that can be a little tedious at times, but I think um, going from sort of a loose base structure to sort of a, a forthcoming structure um, in my five weeks, maybe six weeks that I've been here has been quite a transition. Um, and I've seen the momentum behind it, which I really appreciate. And I think there's sort of a, an alleviating of stress for a lot of people who maybe may not be the first to take action. Sometimes it's nice just to have a, a committee consensus of like, okay, I think our group should focus on these four tasks for the week. Let's see if we can get that done. So um, at least it's my hope that 
it will help continue to further like communication lines in addition to just making the transition from task to task that much easier. One thing that I think is definitely working that I've really enjoyed since we've started our committees is how much smoother our semi-weekly um, community meetings go when the decisions that are being made in committees don't need to be hashed out in front of the entire group. Those decisions can be made in a smaller group and then we just do our committee reports. So I think our um, community meetings have been much less stressful and more streamlined with that. I agree. Uh, I find myself overstimulated a lot and kind of overwhelmed a lot at some of the older uh, meetings uh, that we had before we started doing that. I feel like it was, uh, we were constantly like, you know, if, if, uh, if a picture had to be nailed into the wall, if a, uh, if, if a hole in the wall had to be repaired, um, if a pipe was loose or leaking, we had to discuss it all at the meeting. It, so it's just sort of, it just caused agenda proliferation where the agendas just got kind of longer and longer and longer. Um, I love the committees for their ease of just tossing out sort of like a big day event. For example, like what we had today, um, it was nice being able to just kind of put out to the, uh, I believe it was just like the maintenance committee just asking, was there anybody who would like to do a meeting room cleanup on this day at this time? And with it being a committee, it's a smaller group. So there's not as much discourse that has to happen. And when it's something that just like kind of benefits everybody, there really isn't much discussion to be had aside from when and where. Um, and we were able to knock that out for the most part in like two hours this morning. And I know some people are still in there just kind of like tidying up and putting the, the homey touches on the space. Um, in addition to like um, big construction plans, um, I'm thinking of the chicken coops that we plan on renovating and expanding. For the longest, it, like, it was kind of inter-channeled and it kind of was being dragged along and we weren't too sure of who it belonged to, whether it was maintenance, if it was the chicken committee, if the agriculture committee should get involved. And so it was really nice to be able to just kind of toss out just sort of to an all committee channel and just say, this is the day we're thinking of having um, a construction day. What are the pros and cons of this day? Does that work for folks? And then having a chat where we can do that instead of, as Derek mentioned, it being like this long meeting in the general meeting. Um, I think it's totally eased communication in that regard. And it's also just helped us keep better accountability. You know, it's it's easy to kind of forget things that are said in a meeting when so much is happening and you have a really long agenda. But when you have concrete chat logs to refer back to and to remind yourself, oh, I did commit to September 18th being my chicken day. Let me make sure I clear my calendar for that. Like it really allows a much more, I would say, accessible reality for a lot of folks, just because there are so many different forms of communication and interaction that I think it's beneficial to just kind of cover all your bases. And um, having the committees definitely allows us to do that. Yeah, something I've observed is that um, we need to make sure that everybody knows what the purposes of the committees are, in that they're the group of people who, I guess, are making the decisions behind a certain sphere of activity here on the commune. They're not necessarily everybody who was ever involved with that sphere of activity. So that like um, the kitchen committee isn't the only people who are cooking and washing dishes. And so where that feeds into like our communication is like when we use our app to talk to the kitchen committee, um, if we want to tell people something about like um, something that needs to happen with washing dishes or cooking, 
there's the fear that if we put it just under like the chat for the kitchen committee, it will only go to a few people when it's something that everybody should hear. Would it, I mean, would it solve that just to put like at everyone or at everybody or whatever it is that you're supposed to do? Wouldn't, would that maybe uh, draw people's attention to that, even if it's not a committee that they're like necessarily in, or would they slip through the cracks because they maybe haven't subscribed to that channel or what's Um, the, I think that's a good solution. Like, um, I know I've heard people mention that they might like mute the committees that they're not a part of, which to me was like brought up this potential problem, but I don't know if like, if you at everyone, will you see it on the, on that channel if you're muted to it, but you're, you've been added. I was gonna say, yeah, that's probably the biggest drawback or challenge that we face is just the sheer amount of information that can get shared in a single day can be overwhelming for some, for some folks. So they might just disregard the whole day's worth of messages, which I mean, you know, is fair if that's what you need to do for the day. But then that means that person doesn't necessarily what's going on in the house. And then that can lead to issues where we have just a miscommunication that could have been solved through chat. We're just, you know, either out of habit or for whatever reason, people just aren't checking the chat or the committee channels as often. Um, as maybe we need to at this point. Um, And also to that effect, there's also a lot of just like slippage of small things. Like there might be somebody asking for quick assistance on something and that'll just kind of get lost along the the larger chats. So then if somebody was proposing maybe a small scale idea um, for the time being, that might kind of get kicked along the road until, you know, a couple days later or even until the next like general meeting. Um, So there's a level of like, what do we place as urgent versus what can kind of be left hanging in the balance? Um, And that's really sort of the issues I've run into is just making sure that I'm, that I'm in the sweet spot of not over communicating um, while also communicating my needs or the committee's needs. Um, And then also sort of as Derek mentioned, even though it's like, it's awesome having, I think you said we're up to 14, 16 people here now, which is a huge number. That's incredible to have this community, but it's still also kind of funny having committees because you'll be on four committees with the same people. So then it does sort of feel like, well, then if this is the agriculture committee right now, can we also just squeeze in the pet committee meeting? Like sometimes there's overlap when mm-hmm. maybe shouldn't quite have that overlap, but that's just something to come with you know, just the amount of people that we're working with and sort of the level of commitment that people choose to dedicate to a particular committee. Because I might not expend the same amount of energy for the pet committee when we have five pets here versus how much energy and attention I might give to the agriculture committee when we have so many agricultural tasks planned. Having all of these different channels being in very specific and then like the shit posting channel where you can just put anything on there or whatever. Like, I think that helps too, because it helps delegate the importance of what you're doing. But I definitely agree that it's kind of comical that a bunch of people are going to be on one committee and then you go to another meeting and it's all the same people. Uh, I totally, I totally get that. And hope that, you know, at some point or another, we, you know, are even maybe even more specialized with even more division of labor. And there's not that sense that everybody has to kind of be wearing a bunch of the the same hats. There's the whole process of figuring out how much or how many people are needed on each committee insofar as some need more than others. Like we talked about with 
the finance committee is not one that needs a ton of people. And then um, I guess with our garden committee, that's one that we have a lot of people on. I think Mm -hmm. six people at least officially signed on to being on the committee. And that's a situation where I'm wondering if, would it make sense to split the garden agriculture committee into like two separate committees to that are like focused on the different aspects like our garden beds out in the courtyard versus our plans for back. I have a tendency to just jump into committee meetings when I'm available and I know there's a committee meeting going on. I'll just like jump in and see if there's anything I can do mm-hmm. in so far that I don't have like outside employment. You know, I might as well see if there's anything I can do to make it go easier. And if I feel like I'm not, then maybe it's not the best thing to do, but you know. The greenhouse that has turned into like a sweet passion project. It's always awesome to toss out a sort of like, hey, would folks be interested in doing this small scale thing um, for the larger betterment of the greenhouse? And then having five or six people come out, um, just the sheer manpower, the hours that we've put into it thus far, and also sort of the goals that we've set for it. I mean, at the, like for the time being, it's sort of housing our are late tomatoes. So it's sort of in a weird storage phase. Um, But I really do feel enthusiastic by all the intentionality that's behind the plans for the greenhouse, just in terms of winterizing it and preparing for this upcoming winter season and, you know, already having in our minds what we would like to happen um, for the spring in this greenhouse. So that's definitely a committee project that's becoming larger than life. And I really like that, just feel like feeling people being more comfortable and expressing the ideas that they have and what they'd like to see come like come into fruition on this farm. Um, so that's, that's really awesome. And knowing that we do, we do have both like uh, local resources that we can use, but also with intentions of, you know, um, funds and grants that we can potentially allocate for um, expanding this greenhouse and just kind of figuring out how we can finesse the system to the best of our abilities while also really maintaining this sort of like independence and sovereignty over this green space. What are some of the things that we're growing in there now? Uh, so currently we have just sort of our late harvest items. So there's um, all sorts of lettuces. I believe some of the kales have been transferred in there. We have several different genuses of tomatoes. Uh, there's some very, very beautiful, uh, I believe winter squashes or perhaps fall squashes that are, that are really starting to bloom um, up, up on the top loft. And um, then we've also got the smaller bump out greenhouse in the, uh, the main house where in about a week we'll be transferring those little uh, sprouts which are all garden herbs into the greenhouse so they can kind of really uh, spread their roots and grow big. So that's gonna be stuff like cilantro, oregano, dill, um, rosemary, all the way up to, I found some random seeds that just didn't have a home when I was doing a greenhouse clean out. So we have seed surprises. So um, it's really nice having that kind of liberty to just kind of do whatever feels right in this greenhouse. I think one of the biggest and most stress-inducing things we've had to deal with as of late was the fox predation on our chickens this past summer, which has seems to have not been as big deal in the past few weeks. Um, and it looks like we might've had a deus ex machina in our box that had been uh, going after our chickens might've been ran over. And we did do put a lot of um, energy and effort into fox proofing our chicken runs in some phases of that more successful than others. And there's still a lot we can do. So that's definitely something that we still need to make sure is good for when we put our new young chickens into the 
into the big run. Yeah, we've had some some flared up conversations regarding, you know, how much space certain things are taking up. And I guess the chances that something might be useful in the future versus what we could otherwise be doing. Um, but yeah, in the end, I'm glad I'm not, I'm glad that no one person's allowed to have the decision-making power as to all this is thrown away or all this is going to occupy half of the Kwanzaa hut. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally have to agree with Derek and um, that we are opposites in that regard. So I appreciate him being the one to kind of hold me back and be like, no, don't throw those things away. Those like those mean something to somebody because I'm very pro scorched earth. Um, I come from a family of hoarders who, by golly, they will hold on to documents from 1922 that they will never look over again, but they swear they need them. So my approach has always been like, if we don't need it right this moment, if it's not serving us, then we can toss it. Um, so it's it's awesome having a balance of personality and perspective to kind of maintain like a priority list, of course, of like, well, what is going to be utilitarian and actually serve us in this moment versus what is maybe more of a, a pleasure product that we want just for the sake of owning it. Um, so it's been nice balancing that and also being able to have like internal reflections. I'm very particular about my cleaning methods. Um, so I know when I first got here and I saw everything, I, I certainly was like, oh goodness, there's a lot to get through, but that also just comes with the potential and opportunity to clean out that space and make it something new. Um, so it's been awesome being able to sort of realize what are my material hangups? What are things that I feel I need to have with me and that I need to own versus what we can maybe toss out? In addition to, I mean, goodness, there's a lot of stuff on this property. Um, and I wouldn't be able to appreciate some of these items if I didn't have other folks voicing their concerns and opinions on keeping those things. There's a lot of items that are just kind of Face value, you're thinking they're past their prime, it's time for them to just head to a dump, but in wanting to, you know, lead a better future, be a better person, it's all about, you know, the reduce, reuse, recycle, figuring out what we can kind of remove from that trash cycle, how we can incorporate that back into our lives, but also kind of maintaining that thin line of like, okay, maybe I like this product, I don't need this product, what can I do to either best use it or just toss it? Outside this morning, and what do I see? A dead fox hanging out in the the fields just south of our house, just over the fence. I couldn't tell really what it was until I walked all the way over there. Hey, Ari and Sarah are coming to see. You better keep this little boy away from it. Yeah. But anyway, like um, as I approached it, like I could see its eyes open, and so I'm like pretty sure it's dead. But like I'm I'm uh, going. Like trying to make sure that it's not gonna pounce up at me as soon as I get close enough and like ready to kick at it. So yeah, it's a pretty fresh specimen. 
Um, just in the field on the south side of the house, it was far enough away that I could barely tell it was a fox, and I had to go out and examine it. But yeah, um, so our plan um, with Jordy and I is to skin it, salvage its, its hide, and especially its tail. It could be used to make um, a pretty nice hat or a garment, something like that, right, Jordy? Yeah, like to do for one of the kids would be pretty cool to have like a full foxtail hat <laughs> or uh for sure yeah but then also as i know i mean fox fur as like the like uh what they call like bomber hat type hats you know do like ear flap like oh yeah hats for like aviators hats. or yeah like aviation type hats those uh fox fur for those is is a thing so they're definitely very well insulating the fur as well and so they're better than a rabbit fur i think yeah um, so anyone who's been following us this past summer will know about the problem we've had with uh, fox or multiple foxes going after our chickens. And so, yeah, my emotions seeing this fox are kind of a mixture of like, hell yeah, that's one of the little fuckers that's been going after our chickens. And then a mixture of like seeing that it's really a majestic predatory animal, um, you know, not gleeful that it died in that regard, but... You know, I feel like um, getting in and doing this sort of thing will help us um, feel a little bit more connected with, with, with what's going on. And, yeah, we just saw that it actually indeed is bleeding a little bit as we hang it up on the rope to do the skinning process. It doesn't look like it's very big. Probably just coming out of its snout or mouth. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Or that wound, maybe. No, I think out of its mouth. And one of the weirdest things is we don't know what killed it. Like, there aren't many major wounds on it. Um, it looks like it might have had an altercation around the throat. Like, we don't know if um, our guard dog chomped it on the throat and it went out into the field and died or something. But there yeah, aren't geez, any it does major look like it obvious has clues. a neck wound, or like not a wound, but it looks like its neck has uh, has been bitten or something. Like it's wet, kind of matted fur uh, compared to anywhere else. So not necessarily a real wound, but it does seem as though something was at its throat. I mean, and something pretty big, you think. Yeah, so yeah, I guess the theories are maybe Rosa did a good job in keeping the chickens safe last night and chomped it on the neck. Um... Maybe it got hit by a car out on the road and it stumbled out into the field and died. Yeah. Um, I don't know if some farmer brown poisoned its den or something and it came out here and suffocated to death. Who knows? Um, we're not very uh, experienced in animal autopsies. But, yeah, people more knowledgeable out there might think it's super obvious. Yeah, I wonder, yeah, I wonder if anyone would have, like, a clear... Yeah. So yeah, the marvels of the 21st century is we could just go on YouTube and uh, search how to skin a fox. Found a nice video um, of a professional with a variety of skinning tools and knives. And we're just working with what we got. Don't want to have to run out and find the perfect knife. But hopefully what we have will be good enough and we won't completely destroy it in our attempt to make something good out of this. Yeah. The tail stripping might be hard, but... Oh, uh, really good. Oh, 
are back. Madison's tire is hopefully fixed, and uh, and we are here to peel the skin off of the box, basically. So I'm gonna finish cutting this around the vent thing, which is like pretty much done. Cut down the sides of it and everything, so then it'll be like just a slice between the tail and the and the anus. Okay. That's close. 
you have to slice it to start peeling it away, or does it just start peeling away right now? It makes sense that you'd have to slice it first, yeah. What did you have in mind about um, making with this fur? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I like to do making hats. I even made a pattern of like a that style of hat I was talking about, like air flap, like aviator hats, maybe it's called or something. But then again, maybe that's something different. But anyway, the bomber hat would be called like Mad Bomber is an actual brand of the hats, and they have real rabbit fur bomber hats. Uh, and then they also have even some fox fur hat, which is when I first was like, oh whoa, you know, that's an interesting thing. But yeah, it's good fur to have insulated tip headgear, and uh, I think, so to do this pattern that I did, which I did just like with wool felt that I cut out as the like inside panels, but you could easily cut out the panels of any type of fur or any, any material and then like stitch it onto a vacuum of like canvas, you know, to make a cool fur, but like canvas outer hat. And uh, yeah, so I, I would think something like that could be cool, or we can make it into some multiple things for like multiple people, you know, or, uh, oh, I guess that's the thing also we're supposed to do, switch to having to eat both legs at some point. I don't remember that part, I remember in switching from one leg to the other. But I thought then you did the spike thing through the, okay. once you had to peel away, but to do pulling down hard, maybe not though, maybe we could at least switch to that good leg. <laughs> Makes sense, <laughs> pull, yeah. Hold on. Well, I should be actually, so. Okay, we could do both, or both of them at that level, along the leg. Things then with 
Like the yeah, okay. part of the tail still on yeah, the bottom. Yeah, where'd that one um, tool go? Yeah. Here we go. Here, so this is this is good for the starting point. So yeah, so we're using a PEX. Uh, so you can actually like the first one maybe, or yeah. Not too far, it'll... Well, probably even where you were was good, like even... Well, then again, yeah, maybe you do want to be pretty tight to it. Yeah, we're using a PEX crimping tool, shark bite. So it's like this thing that will ratchet down, but not all the way. It looks like bolt cutters of some kind, but it won't all the way enclose. Uh huh. Yeah. So, uh, so I'll pull up and you pull down, I guess. Oh yeah, I see it. Oh yeah, go. <clears throat> I guess. Just like wire strip. There we yeah, go. Wire strip. You have to do this thing where you're pulling very like perpendicular to it, you know? Uh huh. So like where that tip doesn't get down. Awesome, dang, we just actually got a little, little dizzy and better for a little baby fox tail hat. I mean, yeah, so we got like you can about attach it to something else. Yeah, a 10 foot section of uh, or a 10 inch section or <laughs> so of the tip of the fox's tail. I'll fully peel away from the tail wow. bone and meet with a pex shark bite crimping tool uh -huh. as the stripper. So, as the guy just described, or maybe didn't describe, but Derek described, it's basically like a large wire stripper is what was used to peel the tail off. Peel the tail the video? off the skin, yeah, in the video. Yeah, and they had a, a specific name for that tool, like, this is a tail stripper. Uh, yeah, and I don't know if you're saying, is that like a tool that's literally designed just for stripping tails, or is it just a multi-purpose tool that he designated as his tail stripper? Yeah, it looked to me to have a definite look of potentially a homemade tool. So like clenching, he made it out of some sort of thing. Like I it was see. like two metal pieces kind of clamping together or like, or something that like anyways, people or some small scale person produces them or something, you know, like it's not a very widespread. Yeah. But it is a technical specialized people, tool. People Taylor. in the fur yeah. business all know this specific brand or whatever. Exactly. Something like that. Okay, so here again so now it's just like yeah to get it start started peeling from the spots where i was also cutting basically because this seems like the task because once once it's just peeling only and there's no edge of like a kind of cut in the flesh then it's just membrane getting peeled away from skin or skin getting peeled away from membrane and so we're pretty close to that on this leg i've almost got around the one intact leg and then at that point, I will switch legs of the rope so we can do the. Um, thing. Yeah, I almost came close to uh, doing or seeing someone do this at least at my old job in the woods at a camp in the woods anyways someone found a fox like roadkill on the way into work and it was like pretty fresh and they brought it to do this but then it was like it got pushed off for them they ended up like freezing the whole thing <laughs> or something like that i don't know that it ever got done but anyways so this is pretty cool now seeing like uh raccoon skin caps and fox mm. tail caps um it never really occurs to you that or at least to me that um it's like the not just an entire tail, it's yeah. just the fur that's been removed. Yeah, that's true. And for that the it just tail. comes off in a nice piece like that. Yeah, I had never thought too much into like the tail, exactly. Because like, I'll see where it's like even the face or whatever. Uh -huh. It's like, of course, at that, it's like... Yeah, you know, the skull's you know, not yeah, inside. Yeah, it's like kind of the eyes are empty or whatever. But, okay, sometimes there's a little bit of attachment here, but... I'm 
much more. Okay, let's do. Uh, you want to hold it up, I guess, yeah. or you want to loose the. strength there for nose. I pretty much have like had some sort of nerve pinch problem that affected my finger and hand strength and then also like tendonitis and like always or was it purple like, tunnel nerve about by a specific thing? Yeah the nerve pinch thing was brought about by a specific thing like yeah working and getting some having some like it's like a between your vertebrae mm -hmm. pinch so just like that not lifting things properly. Mm -hmm. But then now the like yeah the tendonitis things from using a chainsaw for like a couple of days like all day and it's like the vibrating and like using your wrists like that really just like made it so both my wrists felt like squeaky rubber bands or something if you would feel them yeah like, you could just put your hand on my wrist and feel it and it would be like and uh, ever since then yeah it's been pretty bad like my forearms will get weak easily and my grip oh shit the other one like popped up but that's alright yeah it looks like it's staying up. So I think we're just basically going to have a little bit of piece of 
flesh that we're going to need during the defleshing part. Because, yeah, we're pretty much down across its head where the fur is going to be staying. Yeah. And down through the front legs. snap on me. <laughs> oh, wait, he did taking out his arm like a shirt or something, remember? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, perfect. 
audio recording something weird because we're just standing right, there for right. a few minutes just muttering shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what can we put these goddamn flies away? I mean, just close the doors? Is that what he did when he rinsed it off? Or? I don't think he did on video. Oh, we just salt it for Like a finger trap thing, you know? Right. 
but and then there's like a push tab you have to poke into to get it to release them and at this angle I'm again experiencing two like the, these two will be wire nutted together with right. another wire that will then jump to the screw, you know? So it's like these two will be back in the box, just like wire nutted with three wires together. And so you could just set it up like that. That we could do at least like trim these back, strip them, wire nut them onto one other wire, and then put that wire so that way we could extend it. Right. Also, it, it's I guess. just the ground you can combine, right? But not the. Uh, well, exactly. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That's true. Yeah, yeah. You can stack grounds on a. On a. On a or post or whatever. But this has the cool disc they're using. Uh, actually, never mind, maybe not. Or maybe. I thought this cool crimping thing that you'll see on a lot of them where it's like they make these pigtails with just some cool copper band crimper tool. Mm -hmm. And so it's oh, just I like the grounds are always like banded together with this little band. It's all held clean, just like they end held clean and one wire coming off of that. Yeah. This is like the other thing people do, which is not give a shit about actually even fastening them together and just twist the grounds all together. Like these are just all the grounds are just twisted together. Right. Um, which is like, again, you can do it with a wire nut, like a pigtail even for the grounds, because why not? It doesn't take up very much space and it makes it easier to maneuver shit around. And out that I can just smash apart the hammer, I guess, get these out, but like what was happening. Anyways. Oh yeah, so the outlet's like crumbling apart as I am trying to remove the wires from the back of it. And the wires are plugged into these little holes, which have like a spring release. You poke down into another hole, and it's hard to get them to come off. It's a very tight space, and it's crumbling apart. Yeah, like again, a chunk just came off, so... Maybe that's a good idea, yeah, actually. So I got that out at least. So see that black wire that is very short? Sucks. So the black incoming hot wire is uh, very short, which makes it hard to not do using these poking things and to do what I was talking about, like putting it into this, onto the screws. I think I've ever really actually just had an outlet be this brittle. Like it's weird, it's just crumbling apart like this. It had different types of breaking happening with it. This is like all the plastic that's in it. Okay, so before we do my Let's just try to remember. Normally I would also like, especially, okay, so the way I would be teaching you all and like, obviously you're not gonna just start doing it after this one probably. Um, we could do another one anyways that hopefully will be like just the end of a run or just have one coming in and one coming out anyways so that um, like we have to keep track of, you know, where these wires all want to go now which are which, like which are going where, which is the incoming hot and which is uh, outgoing. But we know that this one hot is very short, so that lets us know that that's the incoming hot at least. Get this thing off the ground. Your support on patreon.com slash solidarityhouse ensures that we can deliver this content to the public for free.